We are so honored that you would take the time out of your week to listen to this week's message. We pray that you find it helpful and life-giving. If you would like more information on Hope Church, you can check us out at www.hopedelmarva.com. That's D-E-L-M-A-R-V-A dot com. Thanks for listening. Man, I am so excited. Give it up for our amazing worship team. Yes. Man, let me just tell you, there are some Sunday mornings. We haven't had many. We've been so, so grateful. But there are some Sunday mornings at Hope Church when everything that could go, did go. Okay, today, that was the day. Today was the day. So um, let me just tell you, our partners are some of the most amazing people on the planet. Our people showed up early. They helped us um, when a tire blew out. Uh, They stepped into kids' ministry when Liz couldn't be here. And let me just tell you, these people are amazing. And we are continuing to grow those teams. So if you've never heard of Growth Track, Growth Track is our way of helping people discover their purposes and their gifting and use those giftings right here at Hope Church to make a difference. It's an amazing class. We have one coming up in November. Um, If you'd like to sign up, you can do so right out there at the VIP Next Steps table. Well, listen, my name is Emma Adams, and I'm the lead pastor here at Hope Church, and I cannot wait. Last week was incredible. We had five amazing communicators for five minutes each, and it was awesome. Can we just give it up for them one more time? Um, Liz was not feeling well last week, and progressively it had gotten worse, but let me just tell you, this girl um, got up here anyway and preached her guts out, and I'm just so proud of those people. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, growing up, we had at every, and I'm not sure if it's like a universal experience, so you guys got to talk to me about it a little bit. Um, whenever we would have like a large dinner party, like Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter, um, we would have those big tables, and then we would have the kids' table. Do you guys know the kids' table? Did you have that growing up? Or did you have nice parents? Right, I didn't have nice parents. So we had the kids' table. We still have the kids' table. And the kids' table is where all the awkward preteens and all the gangly teenagers and then all the little kids would have to pile around this little table and and always, always would pursue coarse jokes, stuff that your mom and dad would not be happy to hear you say. And there would be ribbing and jabbing And then there would be fart noises with the hand in the armpit, right? I mean, this is the kids' table. And I know for me, inevitably, I would always feel like, man, I don't belong here. I want to be at the adult table with the adults. I hated being at the kids' table because it made me feel like I didn't belong. And I don't know about you, but throughout my life, I've often encountered times where I just didn't feel like I belonged. I don't know about you, but for me, um, I have felt like I was not welcomed at the table. Not just the kids' table, but bigger tables. Uh, And more often than I wish, this occurred in church and ministry settings. As a woman in a man-dominated field, I have encountered more than my fair share of prejudice. I've had to defend myself and my calling as a lead pastor um, and my church's stance as uh, those who um, ordain women more often than I ever care to. 
To be honest, I've been told, not only do I not belong at the table, but I'm a sinner for sitting at it. Seriously. Um, and this happens in person. They, I've had people message me, email me, all these things. And I have had to wrestle with myself. And this has happened at universities. It's happened in churches. And it's happened at parachurch organizations. I have had to always stand up and defend my call. Now, I don't know about you. Maybe for you, it's because of your race. Maybe somebody told you you don't belong and they've discriminated you and told you there is no place for you at the table. Maybe for you, it was because you're in your workplace and you didn't have the right pedigree or the right degree, right? Or you didn't have the right people in your corner and you got looked over that promotion and you were told you don't belong at this table. You don't belong. Or maybe um, it was the kids in school who bullied you and told you you would never belong to the cool kids club. Or, or maybe it was the team you didn't make. For me, it was the cheerleading squad right here at Seaford Middle. I did not make it. Did not make it. And I was crushed, right? Because I felt like I didn't belong. At one point or another, we've all felt that feeling that we just don't belong. Now, there's an amazing author and uh, researcher in social psychology, and her name is Brene Brown, and I've followed her research uh, for her entire career. I've studied all of her books and read her research, and it's pretty impressive, her study of the human psyche. I enjoy reading her work, uh, work very much, and she said this, <clears throat> the difference between fitting in and belonging, there's a big difference. In fact, fitting in can be one of the biggest barriers to belonging. Fitting in is about assessing a situation and adapting who you are, your personality and behaviors in order to feel accepted. Belonging is about freedom, freedom from having to change in order to be accepted and being valued and respected for being who you are. That's pretty good. There's a big difference. And we all have felt that in our life. In her research, she asked a group of eighth grade girls about what it means to belong and what it's the differences between fitting in. And here is what they said, so insightful. One girl said this, belonging is being somewhere you want to be and they want you, but fitting in is being somewhere where you really want to be, but they don't care one way or another. Another girl said, belonging is being accepted for you. Fitting in is being accepted for being like everyone else. And a third girl said, I get to be me if I belong. I have to be like you to fit in. How profound are these eighth grade girls' revelation about what it means to belong and fit in? Now, to switch it up a little bit, we're going to look in the Bible about something that God founded from the foundation of creation, and that is the table and feasting. Throughout the Bible, the table has been a place that reveals the heart of God. The table has started in Genesis. Listen to what it says. It says, then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food and to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give you every green plant for food. And it was so. 
And God saw all that he made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. So from the start, God created our sustenance and our food, and he created the table for communion. You see, food and feasting and the table shows up in almost every page of Scripture, and it impacts every aspect of our human life. I mean, if you don't eat, what happens? You get tired and cranky. You get hangry, right? Like things go wrong if there's not food. And it plays a large part in the overall arc of God's story. You see, during the Exodus, they were given manna from heaven to provide for their needs. I mean, God showed up and gave them sky bread, okay? Sky bread just fell, right? Uh, Then birds came and fell and fed them. And he was showing them that he is enough, that he is enough. They didn't need anything other than what God would provide. And whenever God wants to mark a special occasion for his people, he gives them a feast and tells them to set the table and to share their bread with one another. And we see throughout Leviticus, these feasts, there's actually seven of them, which is significant, and I won't get into that today, but there's seven feasts that God calls the Israelites to celebrate. And the first is the Passover. It marks the remembrance of when the uh, Israelites were able to flee Egypt, and they had to mark their houses because the last plague was coming over the Egyptians. Do you remember what the plague was? It was the plague of the firstborn. Every firstborn animal and person in Egypt was going to die as a sign of their rebellion against God. Firstborn is significant, right? Firstborn is very significant. But the Israelites, (laughs) that's my son, um, the Israelites were told to do what? They were told to slaughter a lamb and take the blood and put it over their doorpost as a mark that the angel would pass over their house and leave all those inside safe. And this is what the Passover uh, celebrates, and they're supposed to prepare lamb with bitter herb and unleavened bread. Again, a feast to commemorate, to, to point towards God. The next one is the festival unleavened bread, and that goes right along with the Passover. And so for seven days, they were to eat bread with, made without leaven to commemorate the leaving of Egypt when they had no time to leaven their bread. They had to just take what they had with them, right? So we're talking flatbread, delicious, non-bread. I'm telling you, non is life, okay? If you haven't had it, go to the store, buy some. Um, the next feast is the offering of first fruits. He said to bring in the first fruit of your harvest to offer to God and then to sacrifice a lamb and sheaves of grain and the first of your harvest. Always giving back to God, always giving back and feasting with those around you to celebrate what God had done. Then there's the festival of trumpets. We call it now Rosh Hashanah. We also have the festival of weeks, which was new grain, bread with yeast, and lamb given to the Lord. Then we had the Day of Atonement, which is Yom Kippur, where you deny yourself and fast, but present food to God. Then we have the festival of tabernacles, and this is when all of the Israelites would go camping in the streets. Isn't that crazy? So they would build houses, tents, out of leaves and bark, and they would present food offerings to the Lord. And on eighth day, they would hold a sacred assembly and present food to the Lord, but then they would eat and feast together. And each included food. 
either offering it to God, eating it together, or in some significant way, God would tell them, make sure that you give food to the poor. Make sure that you take care of your neighbors. God is always looking and including food. Food is a gift of God given to all of life's purposes for nurture, for sharing, and for celebration. When it is done in the name of God, eating is the earthly realization of God's eternal communion building love. You see, God always wants us at his table. God has always designed for us to have the table to feast and enjoy the presence of others. So if the table is a place where we can experience eternal uh, communion building love, then why do we experience this terrible sense of disconnection? Why do we lack a sense of belonging? I want to look at Jesus's life and learn about how he interacted with people. So if you would with me, we're going to look at Luke 15, 1 through 7. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he leave the 99 in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the very same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 religious persons who do not need to repent. Jesus is called out for feasting at the table with people who aren't deemed worthy of his company by religious leaders. They are irritated by Jesus keeping company with the wrong people. They didn't think that these people belonged to God. But Jesus sat and he broke bread and he gave thanks and he gave bread and he cracked jokes, I believe. And he told stories and he sat with the smelly and with the broken Jesus responds to their criticism with those three parables. The first is the one we just heard of lost sheep. Then the second parable recounts a woman who has 10 silver coins and loses one. And she tears her house apart, y'all, trying to find that coin. If you ever been a po folk, you know you'd be rolling some quarters. You lose one of those quarters, you are going to search for it. Anybody else ever had to scrounge change to pay for stuff? Look, good, I'm glad I'm not alone, okay? Sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Then Jesus tells a parable of a father and a son. And the older son is a loyal and dutiful person. And he serves with his father while the younger son says, Yo, Pops, give me my inheritance now before I can enjoy it because I'm old like you. And the pop says, All right. And he gives him his inheritance. And the young man goes out and parties hearty with the ladies and all of the peoples who suck him dry of every penny. And he finds himself among pigs, wishing that he could eat what they were eating because he was starving. And then he had a revelation. Oh my gosh, what am I doing here? I'm going to go home. 
And Jesus shares that when he gets home, his father, much to the chagrin of the elder brother, uh, celebrates his return, declaring, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So you see, Jesus is illustrating that his purpose in eating with those who are not welcomed by the religious leaders' tables is bigger than they understand. These meals are not to indulge, but to restore and reach out to those who have the greatest need. All three parables emphasize the fact that joy happens when we recover the lost. When I said yes to Jesus in August of 2000, there was rejoicing. God was like, oh man, that girl was jacked up. But she's back. She's back. And Jesus delved into a place where the religious elite were so unwilling to go. Again, my favorite show, Chosen, shares what happened when Mary Magdalene was finally delivered by Jesus from the demons that wrecked her life. You see, the Romans went to the Jews and said, yo, you got to fix Mary. There's a girl causing problems. And they said, oh, we're not going to the red district. We don't go with those people. But Jesus did. And Jesus found her. And he called her name. And he called her out and chose her. And when we understand that God can and does use the feast as a means to reach people, we can become overzealous in our desire to make sure everything is perfect. I can attest to that even on Sunday mornings. We strive for excellence, but we never strive for perfection. Because we know that it's important to understand that God is not hindered by imperfect houses or burnt toast. You see, Shauna Nyquist in her book, Bread and Wine, says this profound statement. She says, what people are craving isn't perfection. People aren't longing to be impressed. They're longing to feel like they're home. And if we create a space full of love and character and creativity and soul, they'll take off their shoes and curl up with gratitude and rest, no matter how small, no matter how undone, no matter how odd. When we become focused on aesthetics and appearances, we can lose sight of sharing a meal and what it's all about. We forget that the celebration is over the seed that might be planted and the potential for the loss to be found. You see, Jesus came to show us the way. And he demonstrated that God deeply cared for those who felt like they never belonged. You see, he loved the children who he welcomed into his arms. He loved the tax collector who cheated and stole from his own people. He loved the adulterous woman and then gave her the freedom to go and sin no more. He loved the woman at the well who could never find a man. And then when Jesus stepped on the scene, she said, Oh my gosh, I found the one. The one. You see, he loved the disabled and forgave their sins and restored their crippled legs. He loved the sick and he healed their wounds. He loved the blind and opened their eyes. He loved the woman haunted by demons so much that he banished them to hell forever for her. He loved the untouchable leper and made his skin clear as day. He loved the widow. He loved the poor. He loved the rich. He loved the foreigner. He loved the religious. He loved his enemies. He loved me and he loves you. 
because of the cross of Jesus Christ, we all have been set free from trying to hustle for a place at the table. No matter who you are or where you've come from or what you've done, your place at God's table is already set for you. Baby, your name tag is at your place setting and there is a feast before you. All you have to do is show up. All you have to do is say, yes, listen to the invitation of Christ. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He doesn't tell you to go clean it up and get it all right. He doesn't tell you that you've got to be perfect. He says, as a matter of fact, just come. At his table, your past doesn't matter because he forgave it on the cross. He's fully paid for you to be at this table. And no man, no demon in hell can take that from you. There is nothing that can stand of the way of taking your place at the table. Your place is set. So your place at the table. This is where we get down to the nitty-gritty you see, in the end, all feasting will culminate in the grandest feast of all. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And when all is made right and the kingdom of God is experienced in its totality, this is what it says in the book of Revelations will occur. John wrote this. He said, then I heard what sounded like a great multitude like the roar of rushing waters with loud peals of thunder shouting hallelujah for our lord god almighty reigns let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready fine linen bright and clean was given her to wear and fine linen stands for the righteous acts of god's holy people then the angel said to me write this Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. You see, there's going to become a time when the heavens will be rolled up as a scroll, as an old hymn says. And Jesus will come down, and with him will come the new earth and the new heaven and the new Jerusalem, where he will shine and he we are invited to a feast with him. You see, that table is the table where your place card waits. And all you have to do is accept the invitation. All you have to do is say, yes, I want to be at that table. I want to be in the kingdom of God. I want a place with Jesus and all the saints. All you have to do is say yes to Jesus. So I want to give everyone an opportunity to do that, whether you are here in person or you are listening to the podcast online. I just want to give you a chance to say yes to Jesus. In this moment, if you feel the call of God to say yes, all you have to do is pray a prayer with me. Just have to say something like this in your heart. Jesus, I believe that you pay for my sins on the cross. And I want to be at the table with you. Would you come into my heart and lead me through the power of your Holy Spirit into what is best for my life? I'm making a decision today. I'm drawing a line in the sand. I don't want to go back to my sin. I want to move forward with you. 
If that's you and you said yes today, you can either scan the QR code on the screen or say that's me to 94,000 in a text message and we will make sure that we connect with you and get you all the materials you need to continue your walk with Jesus. If that's you this morning and you're in this experience, I just want you to know welcome home. I'm glad to be at the table with you because I was lost but now I'm found. I'm so glad that you would accept the invitation of God. I want you to know that this is an open invitation. And you might not be ready today. I hope you are, but if you're not ready today, that's okay. I'm okay with that. And so is God. But just be open to what God has for you. But also as believers, we have to ask ourselves, those of you who are called Christian, those of you who follow Jesus, you guys have to ask yourself if you're willing to participate in God's work beyond the comfort of your neatly arranged play settings, inviting people into your lives to share a table and a story that might open the door to healing and restoration culturally and spiritually. The table wasn't a neat and tidy place in Jesus' lifetime on earth. I want you to listen it's going to be a little bit of a long one, but listen to what it says in Luke 22, 14 through 30. It says, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. That's the marriage supper of the lamb. Can I tell you, he's setting the table for you right now. He's waiting for you before he eats that. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. And a dispute rose among them as to which one of them was considered the greatest. Jesus said to them, the kings of Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials and I confer on you a kingdom." just as my father conferred on one on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. You see, Jesus welcomed everyone at his table. Can I just point out that Jesus even welcomed in him who was going to betray him and gave him the job of treasurer? For the years that Judas served, Jesus was right there with him. And even to the end, Jesus had him at the table. You see, spirituality lived in community is messy. It's not going to be easy to welcome people into your lives. People 
are messy and things are not always cut and dry. Hospitality is far from being perfect or having all the things right in your home. If you've been to my home for women's group on Wednesday nights, you know. Okay? Stuff is messy. Kids are crazy. Dishes in the sink. Dirt. Dogs. But we do it anyway. We welcome you into our home anyway because it's not about perfect furnishings or cleanliness or food and drink. It's about true hospitality. The open table is all about an open home and an open heart. You see, you need to invite people into your personal spaces. You need to allow people to live life with you. Listen, go shopping and invite somebody new. Listen, I want you to actually host a group in your home. I want you to go to group. I want you to meet somebody at a local restaurant or a coffee shop who you normally wouldn't hang out with. Somebody who doesn't look like you or sound like you. Somebody who doesn't have it all together. That could be your spouse, I'm just saying. Right? And listen, yes, you might get hurt. 100%. Can I tell you that walking with every walk of life can be painful and heartbreaking sometimes. I want you to remember that Jesus was betrayed by his closest of friends. And yes, he was sitting right there at the table. Can I just point out that he still washed Judas's feet? He still served him to the very end. He still drank from the same cup and ate the same bread with him. People are only as perfect as you are. I'm going to say that one more time. People are only as perfect as you are. So invite them in. Allow for mistakes. Allow for pain. And invite people in anyway. Because true love comes with the risk of disappointment. It is always worth it. It is always worth it. And that's the invitation of Jesus. That is the service we're called to. That's why at Sunday nights we are now at Banyan Recovery Home in Milford leading worship and preaching the word to men and women in recovery. That's why starting in Georgetown on Monday, November the 14th, we're having a special service just for those in recovery, just for people who are walking through, getting through addiction that's been so damning for their life. Because we believe everybody deserves a seat at the table. That's why we are in Sussex Correctional Institute ministering to men in there who are trying desperately to recover their lives. I'm so excited because those men are getting uh, groups together and they're sharing the gospel with each other. We have men who are leading Bible studies with other men because of the ministry that we have there. Because everybody is welcome at the table. So this is my challenge for you this week. I dare you to open your life. I dare you to ask yourself, who can I invite to my table? Who can you share what God is doing in your life with? I don't know if it's the person next to you in the cubicle. I don't know if it's the person that is your boss or your coworker or the janitor. I don't know if it's that person that really irritates you. That's probably the one. Yep, I said it. That one that plucks your nerves, that's probably the one you need to press into a relationship with. 
I can tell you that that's my mark. When somebody really irritates me, I am pushing into them. I am calling them. I'm saying, let's go for coffee. I'm saying, why don't you come over to my house and hang out with me? Because you know what? There's something in them that I need. There's something in them that's going to transform me. Usually it's because whatever is irritating me about them is just me reflecting back on me, right? It's usually whatever they're doing is something that I do that irritates. So I push into those relationships. Ask, who can I invite to church? Because it is not just our responsibility as leadership. It is your responsibility to help grow this church. So who can you invite? Who can you bribe with food to get here? Straight up. Bring them. Drag them. Invite them. We have invitation cards as you exit. Grab a stack. Make it rain at your job site. Are they going to think you're crazy and religious? I don't care. And neither should you. Give it anyway. Ask them anyway. You could literally change somebody's uh, eternity. They could literally be able to sit next to you at that table. You can change somebody's whole entire life just with an invitation to church. It takes an average of seven invitations before somebody accepts. So here's the deal. Seven to nine. Don't stop asking. Be that guy. Be that girl. Annoy the crap out of them. It doesn't matter because they could change their whole life. So I want to challenge you seriously. Invite someone this week. Invite someone to church. Invite somebody to coffee. Invite somebody to dinner. Press in. Press in. Share with them what God is doing in your life and invite them to church. It's as simple as this, guys. All you have to do is say, you don't have to tell them anything about the Bible. You don't have to quote the Bible. You don't have to know the Bible. All you have to do is say, you know what? I was really struggling with something in my life and God showed up and he kind of changed my heart and it's been a crazy journey ever since. And I'm finding myself more full of joy. I have more hope than I ever did in my life. I just wanted to share that with you. I don't know if that means anything to you, but it's meant something to me. That's, that's it. How long did that take? 30 seconds. 30 seconds to tell what God is doing in your life. You can do this. You can do this. And if you want encouragement, today I want you to sign up for a group. If you haven't been attending your group, get back in your group. We need you. We need to encourage one another in the faith. We need to be accountable to our invitations that we're sending out. Okay? Let me pray for us as we head out. Father, we thank you so much that you have put the table out for us, that you're setting the table and preparing the feast, waiting for us to come. Father, I thank you that you have created uh, this space for us here and I pray that the table at Hope Church would always be welcoming to all. That everyone, regardless of their past or their present, would feel at home here. God, I pray that you would help us to uh, invite people over and over again. That you would grow this church. That people who are far from God would come home just like the prodigal son. Just like the lost coin and the lost sheep. Father, we ask that you would do all these things, not for our benefit, but for your glory and for your honor. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you found today's message both helpful and inspiring. 
Hope Church meets every Sunday, 10 a.m. in Seaford, Delaware. If you would like more information, you can find it at www.hopedelmarva.com. That's hope, D-E-L-M-A-R-V-A.com. Thanks for listening.